starting at verse 9 of 1 Corinthians chapter 6, at the top of page 1148. Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. You say, food for the stomach, and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honour God with your bodies. This is the word of the Lord. Sarah, thank you for reading that. Should we just pray before we start? Oh, Lord God, uh, often uh, when we come to your word, uh, it pierces our hearts. Uh, And Lord, we come before you uh, in a passage like this, which is so personal about our sin and about our bodies. And Lord, many of us will uh, have deep shame and guilt or hurt. Uh, from experiencing this going wrong. And Lord, we praise you that you're a God who forgives. uh, And Lord, you make new. And Lord, that you make glorious and that you renew. And I pray, Lord, that you would renew our minds and help our hearts to love you more as we look at this passage together. I pray, Lord, that you would bless us uh, with a better story that helps us to love and cherish the good gifts you've given us, but also to love and to cherish you and one another. Amen. Amen. Um, I don't know how many songs that you have ever heard in a sort of pop culture that celebrate life with no sex. Anyone heard any songs? I generally couldn't think of one. Still can't. Which tells you something about the narrative of our society, doesn't it? 
Uh, sex of almost any kind is a necessary ingredient for a fulfilled and proper life. Just like the Corinthians here, who we saw in chapter 5, prided themselves on their permissiveness about sex. They were actually even more liberal than the culture around them, which in Corinth was pretty liberal. Uh, and Anyway, if you go 500 years ago, uh, forward in time for the Corinthians and back from us, uh, living without sex, celibacy, was all the rage. There were nuns and monks all over Europe and all over the planet trying to live a life of chastity. But interestingly, nowadays, actually it is hurtful and harmful not to have sex by any means possible. I just want, is that, is that right? It seems to me that our culture actually is really very confused about sex and what we do with our bodies, uh, singling out sex particularly because it gets singled out in this passage for us, uh, actually, um, you know, sex in any way, in any context, actually has been the single most damaging scandal in the church's recent history, hasn't it, with sexual abuse. It's been unbelievably damaging for victims and their families, as well as the reputation of God's kingdom. Our culture is so confused about it. On the one hand, sex is nothing. It's a bit of fun. It's hard to find a television show these days that doesn't have the obligatory sex scenes, isn't it? But on the other hand, sex is everything. It's what defines me, and to deny my ability to have sex is to deny my very self. Our culture prides itself on being liberal, sexually liberal, the freedom to do whatever you want since the sexual revolution in sort of 60s and 70s. And yet it has become deeply puritanical and restrictive as it asserts that pride agenda and tries to prevent people doing whatever they want to use others to satisfy their sexual desires in the wake of all the sexual scandals that have come out, hashtag me too. Uh, and that's happening in offices and university campuses, hasn't it? So in our culture, sex is kind of everywhere, but actually all the statistics show that it's happening less and less, and with less and less love and safety. Sex and sexuality are good things created by God, but like all good things, they can be damaging when we don't use them for their purpose, when we don't understand what they're for when we don't see that they're given to us for the glorification of God, not the gratification of self. And it feels like our culture is in such a mess on this, actually, on their lack of understanding, that the tide is starting to change. So Louise Perry, who's not a Christian, has written a feminist critique of the sexual revolution. Uh, through her experience of helping victims of violent sexual abuse and campaigning and educating uh, 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 men and women um, against that, she calls into question whether, whether the liberalisation of sexuality has in fact been good when all is said and done. Brother, sorry, I'll turn that on. Okay. So here's, here's the quote from her. She says... A liberal ideology flatters us by telling us that our desires are good and that we can find meaning in satisfying them, whatever the cost, she explains. But the lie of this flattery 
should be obvious to anyone who has ever realised after the fact that they were wrong to desire something and hurt themselves or hurt other people in pursuing it. Our culture says, listen to what your hearts desire and just go for that. But actually, often our desires are not good and we hurt ourselves and people in pursuing it. And so she decries a liberal feminism that cuts off child from the problematic older generation and has a whole chapter entitled, Listen to Your Mother. But better than listening to your heart desires, or, or even your mother, though you should do that, is listening to God, who loves you and I so much that he paid the ultimate price for you to purchase you and I. He died for you and me. And so at the end of this reading, we read, you are not your own, you were bought at a price. How would his direction of us then be bad? How would his direction of us be evil? You know, in contrast, he is most glorified when we flourish. So it's in his interest to direct us well. And as our creator, there is no one who can teach God anything about how we use our bodies or our sexuality. He knows even better than mum. And as his loved creations, all of us have got wrong heart desires that mean we are sexual sinners or we've experienced that or we will be at some stage or we have been in the past as we need, or we will need to know how to speak the truth in love into this particular area of our brothers and sisters in Christ. So why do we listen to this? We listen to this today because it's the word of God, but we listen to it because I want us to avoid being deceived by the world and pursuing its confused agenda and missing out about sex and sexuality and the better story there is. What's God got to say about sex and sexuality in our bodies? Well, the summary is this. It's down there in verse 20. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honour God with your bodies. And we're going to start with, do not be deceived. That's the tone here to the Corinthians. Don't be fooled by what's going on around you and leave behind what God says. And what we're going to be deceived, we're going to be deceived about is, you need to remember who you are. You, in Christ, are the sinless heirs of the kingdom of heaven. And that means you have everything that you could possibly want. Don't be deceived also. Rationalising sin, kind of excusing sin, is a trap that bites. And don't be deceived. Your body does matter. And it matters to Jesus. He loves you, your soul, and your body. And so, actually, what we want to do the aim here is there for us in verse 18. Flee from sexual immorality. Have nothing to do with it. You are not your own. You were bought at a price and therefore honour God with your bodies. That's what we're going to see. It's a little bit like uh, Abigail and John Mark. Wonderfully, they got married yesterday. It was just a, such a lovely and beautiful service. As they committed to no longer being their own but belonging to each other. All that I am, I give to you. All that, I, all that you are, I receive. They're not their own. They belong to each other. And if either side of them forgets that, if either side of them forgets that their body belongs to the other person, 
and they use their body as if it doesn't belong to the other person, then disaster follows, doesn't it? Hurt and pain for both, and for family and for friends as well. I thought you were mine, and I thought I was yours. It's the same for us with Christ as his church. We are his. Our souls and our bodies are his. And he is ours. It's a beautiful, loving relationship that even the best marriage is just a fraction of a taste of. The real deal is not getting married, but knowing Jesus in that way. And when we are deceived and we forget that we are his and that he is ours, body and soul, then we use our bodies and sexuality as as if it's ours, for our satisfaction. And that's a terrible rejection of God's love, isn't it? He says, well, I thought you were mine. And I thought I was all yours. Praise God that Christ forgives us. eh? When we get that wrong, I've got that wrong. Praise God that we are forgiven. And all that we might be ashamed and guilty of here today is been dealt with. All that you might be carrying with you today that you regret, the thoughts, the things you've seen, the things you've done, all of that can be washed away in Christ so that we're pure. We're going to see that in a minute. That is a wonderful truth, isn't it? And so as we read this, we never get stuck on guilt or shame. We always run with joy to the cross and come out with delight. Do we see that? That's your summary. I'm going to have to do little pockets of this and then we'll finish in about 10 minutes. So let's have a look at this passage together. Or do you not know, verse 9, wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. There it is. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Do not be deceived about who you are in Christ. You are sinless as of the kingdom of God. Do you see what's happened to you? You were in one state, but now you are new because you have been, verse 11, uh, you have been washed. All your shame and guilt has gone. If you trust in Jesus, it's gone on the cross. It is dead and buried. You will never see it again like you never see a stain on your shirt once it's been dazzed. It's gone. You have been sanctified. You are set apart, body and soul, for God. Not just your soul, but your body as well. Set apart for God. You've been justified. That means it's just as if you'd been Jesus. You are made perfect. You may be thinking about how you've got this wrong. I want you to put that on Jesus and leave it and think about how Jesus got it right. Think about how Jesus used his body his sexuality, how he loved women perfectly. He never got it wrong. How he gave his whole body to the cross in service of his father so that we might be loved forever by God. That is your record if you trust in Jesus today. And that's all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord, and Christ means the king, the anointed one, 
He is the king, and we are sub-rulers in his kingdom. We are heirs to Jesus' kingdom, just like Jesus is heir to that kingdom. And that happens by the Spirit. Did you see that at the end there? The The Spirit of God lives in you. Your body is a dwelling place for the Spirit of God. How intimate a relationship do we have? And that's of, that's of our God. We do that together. So do you see that together we have become, in Christ, this sinless heirs of the kingdom? What could you add to God's kingdom that would improve it? What are you missing out on when you give up on everything and every type of lifestyle to have the kingdom of God? What relationship can be better than an eternal relationship with Jesus Christ, the most loving, dynamic, awesome, powerful, all-knowing? If you remember that, then what happens is, is it changes the way that you feel about your body and what you do with it. It means that you want, you feel the need to live in repentance. So this is saying here in the passage, when it says this, these type of sins will not inherit the kingdom of God, it does not mean if you've done those, you are not going to get in the kingdom of heaven. What it means is if you don't feel the need to repent of them, if you don't feel how you're being transformed by God in walking away from the alcohol, in walking away from the adultery, and in walking away from the homosexuality, in walking away from the being greedy and drunk, if you don't feel that, then maybe you've forgotten that you are a sinless heir of the kingdom of Christ. Uh, I, I once wore a T-shirt as a teenager, uh, and it had a surfboard on the front and a scantily clad, almost naked woman on the front of it, and it had underneath the words, born to ride. If I was wearing that T-shirt today, and I didn't feel that that was in any way inappropriate, you would be worried that I had forgotten who I am, wouldn't you? And it's the same for you, brothers and sisters. If you, if, you, if you remember who you are, body and soul in Christ, it makes you think, I don't want to do that anymore. I don't want the alcohol. I don't want the porn. I don't want the adultery. I want to live like this because there is nothing greater. There are two ways that we can approach the commands of God. Uh, One is, you approach it thinking, uh, you think of everything that I lose by living this way. If I do what it says here, what will I lose? I'm going to lose this, I'm going to lose that. Do you see that? I think that's the way I mostly do it. Or you can approach this thinking, uh, (laughs) all that I have as a sinless heir of the kingdom of heaven. What do I already have that means it's totally worthwhile giving up these things and living for God. Do you see how that works? Say, so, uh, when I ask my kids to do something, they'll instantly think, you know, oh no, I can't build my model plane or something. What I want them to do is think, uh, oh yeah, this is my dad. He gave me the model aeroplane and he'll probably give me something else awesome uh, if I, you know, this is, that's a bit transactional, but you get where I'm getting, don't you, right? <laughs> if they're thinking in that way, they run off and they love doing it and then they come back all pleased and it's great. Do you see how it works? Can I encourage you, when you come to these verses, 
So you think about what you lose, because you're not losing anything by having the kingdom of heaven and Jesus. You gain everything. It's the other way around. Not to live for Jesus means you lose the kingdom of heaven. You lose everything. And let me tell you, if you're thinking about it in what am I going to lose, then you are ripe for being deceived about who you are because you are not focused on the kingdom of heaven and you'll lead yourselves and others into unrepentant, kingdom of heaven excluding sin by twisting these words to mean what the world says they mean in order to allow them to do whatever they want. And these words are clear. They're very clear. And if you would like clarity on some of the Greek words here, I've got a resource that you can have a look at or you can check up on the, uh, the talks we've done on Thursday. Come and see me about that afterwards if you like. Don't be deceived about who you are. You are a sinless heir of the kingdom of heaven. You have everything in Christ. Number two, do not be deceived. Rationalising sin is a trap that bites. Do you recognise this logic in verse 12? Have you ever heard this before? I have the right to do anything, you say. Ever heard that before? But not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. That's the kind of excuse we use for doing whatever we want, isn't it? Is to assert my right. The emphasis is uh, here on sexual immorality. uh, And we often hear, don't we? It's my life. It's my body. I will do whatever I want with it. Uh, And it seems that the Christians here were using the same thing in Corinth, their freedom in Christ, to use that in a twisted way that actually is harmful and can be a trap, particularly when it comes to sexual immorality. That's the emphasis before and after this little passage. Can I show you what that's like? It's like the man who says to himself, I'm just appreciating God's beautiful creation as he surreptitiously ogles the woman passing by in the summer outfits but has soon lost control of what he looks at online. Those adulterous thoughts and unfaithfulness that damage his relationship with women, his wife or his future wife, his sisters in Christ, himself and God. That's what happens. You know, sin is just never good. And rationalising it actually means uh, you've got to remember, it's just not going to be good for you. And actually, you'll end up being mastered by it. That's what it says here. And that's true. I once got the children to paint the walls in their room. Uh, what's the first thing they want to paint their walls with? You can paint with whatever you like. Can we paint with mud and worse? Yeah, you could, but is it beneficial for you? Will it become a horrible trap that you have to live in if you smear excrement all over the walls? Do you see? It's... Actually, you've got to think, is this actually going to be good for me? And don't be deceived. What our loving God says is good for us is definitely good for us. What our confused world says is good for us is sometimes, but not always. Do not be deceived. No matter how you rationalise it, sin is never beneficial. It will master you, which means Jesus is not your master, which is the definition of being outside his kingdom and no longer an heir of his kingdom. And so Colossians 3, 17 is really true. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So what we think is, not what can I get away with. I'd have to say that was predominantly the way I thought as a young bloke. You know, instantly pick up the Bible. Okay, sex, brilliant. What can I get away with? But actually, what's the most I can do to glorify God with my sexuality? Not what can I get away with, 
because sin isn't beneficial and it becomes a trap. What's the most I can do with my sexuality that will glorify God? That's a brilliant place to go and a question to ask people. I overheard a couple of women talking about a marriage that was unhappy and the friend was encouraging the other to think, it's your life. Don't let marriage ruin it. Be brave. Leave. It's your body. You should listen to your heart and follow your desires. There's no mention of kids, no mention of a wider family, no mention of how your sin might have contributed to this relationship breakdown. How different would that conversation be where the friend sympathises and prays, but also reminds that individual that they belong to Jesus and that all we have and will have in his kingdom is better than anything we can have here. How different would that conversation be with a friend who asked them, listen, are you being deceived? Are you thinking that something sinful might be beneficial here? It'll be a trap for you. Can we pray about that? That'd be very different, wouldn't it? Here's the next thing. Do not be deceived. Uh, Jesus cares about your body. So verse 13 onwards, your body matters to Jesus. So what you do with it matters. Verse 13 starts with, uh, you say, food for the stomach and stomach for the food, and God will destroy them both. So the Corinthians are thinking, well, look, my body it doesn't go into the new creation. It's just going to get burnt up with everything else here, just like the food I eat. So it doesn't really matter what I do with my body. God's interested with my soul, not really with my body at all. Uh, and so it doesn't matter what I do with it. Uh, and so sex is a kind of thing. It's like an itch. I just, you just itch that itch. Uh, and what you do with your body is it becomes like an old banger that you race around a field as much as you can because you know you won't need it tomorrow. Uh, you might crash it into a few trees and roll it over and it's all good fun because I won't ever need this again. But actually this says, as it comes up, that you've been deceived because your body is made for the Lord and the Lord for your body. Can you see what it says there? The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. So imagine your body is a car. So if you're Ian Biller, it's a stripped-down vintage racing car. If you're me, it's an old banger uh, that uh, was probably quite a large van, isn't it, with lots of creaks and groaning. Uh, you know, for the Corinthians, their body was basically a shell, an old banger that you smash around a field because you won't ever need it again. But Paul says, actually, that car that you're imagining is what you were going to drive to the prom in. It's what you're going to drive to the wedding in. That changes the way you treat the car, doesn't it? This body is what you will have in heaven, albeit made perfect. Verse 14, by his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? That's the next bit. Sexual morality is particularly bad abuse of our bodies for a couple of reasons. One, the nature of our redeemed body and the nature of sex. We are joined at the hip with Jesus right now. That's what it tells us there in verse 15. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? And then it tells us later on, doesn't it, that actually... When we, the nature of sex is that we unite one body with another. So that's the talk about the prostitute in verse 16. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her? Sex is the thing that makes you one with someone else. The two will become one flesh, quoting Genesis again. And so whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. But if you're committing sexual adultery, you're uniting the Lord who's united with you with that adultery. That just doesn't make sense at all. 
pretty hard to commit adultery when you think that Jesus is in the bed with you as well. And right in the middle of all that is the implication from us. Can you see? Uh, it's just crying out, verse 18. Flee from sexual immorality. Don't entertain it. Run away from it. Don't try and do as much as you can. Leave it. I have friends at school, and we all had this ridiculous thing where we got our own room, and we decorate our rooms with crazy stuff. One of my mates had a grenade. That is a stupid thing to have as a room decoration. Not only is it not very decorative, but if it goes off, it kills you, anyone else. It's a disaster. What you do, you don't play cricket with a grenade. You chuck it away, and then you run in the other direction. That is what fleeing looks like. On your computers, flee sexual sin. In your mind, flee sexual sin. In what you desire and dream about, flee sexual sin. Because your body matters to Jesus. Isn't that lovely? I oh, it's lovely that your body matters to Jesus. I was reading an article about a woman that said how, as a teenager, she longed to be loved, and she thought that her body was the tool to get people to love me. And the reality is, is no matter how hard you try in making yourself look beautiful, you think that your body is ugly because the second someone rejects you, you think they're not interested in how you look and you feel rejected and crushed and you feel that they don't care for me and my body and then suddenly you have a terrible downward sparring relationship with your body. To break out of that, we can think, actually, Jesus cares for our body. He made it, he shapes it, he knows it, he loves every part of you, soul and body. Who cares what others think when Jesus cares so much about you and your body, every part of it? Who cares? Uh, what, what greater love can you get than Jesus caring for you and for your body and looking forward to redeeming it? So I want you not to be deceived. The conclusion is here at the end, at verse 19. You are not your own, you are bought at a price. That is how much Jesus loves you, your soul and your body, that he died for you to wash you clean and have you for himself and to have you to have all of him. And so what do we do? Therefore, honour God with your bodies. It's strange to hear the argument that it's my body and my choice, isn't it? And we hear that all the time. And we want to remember, it's not my body. It's not my choice. It's Jesus' body and Jesus' choice. And I want to do all that I can to honour him. And when we get that wrong, we go to him for forgiveness with great joy and thanksgiving that we will be with him forever. It's not my life, but Christ now. And thank God it is, because I would be making a mess of it if it was left to me. It's not my body, but it's Christ's now. And thank God it is, because it means one day my body will be redeemed and made perfect in heaven forever. It's not my sexuality, but Christ's now. And thank God it is, because I don't think I will always be in control of my sexuality or desire good things that are good for me or for other people or for uh, God's plan. And so Jesus points the way for us. Think how he uses his life, his sexuality, his body, all used for the glory of God and to love us. Was he missing out? Was he repressed? Was he cheated by God? Was he harmed by remaining celibate, by offering his body to suffering for the gospel and surrendering his life to make us heirs of his kingdom? Flee sexual immorality and use your sexuality and bodies to honour God. Be part of the new sexual revolution, which is better by far. Shall we pray?
Lord God, we really are such a mess. And uh, Lord, this is such a personal topic, but such a good one. Lord, that you help us think aright about our bodies and our sexuality. You help us see how glorious it is to live for you and to use them for your glory. Lord, I thank you for the freedom you've given us in our bodies and the gifts you've given us to use them and enjoy them. What a wonder they are. You are a good God. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to enjoy them to the full and help others enjoy their bodies to the full, Lord, by living for you, to glorify you as much as we can and to flee sin as much as we can. And Lord, where we are feeling deeply ashamed or guilty, Lord, I pray that you'd move us to turn to you in repentance and faith and to love to have you blanket us with your grace and your renewal. Bless us, I pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.